You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. But before doing anything else, let me pray, and then we'll start walking through what we need to walk through today. Uh, Father, I'm so thankful for the gathering allowance, uh, your people, we, your people coming together with the common, the common foundation of the gospel message, the truth that Jesus is King and Savior and has died for our sins and raised to eternal life, our eternal life forever and ever. And so thank you that we can gather under the sweet banner of the gospel that we have in common. And I pray as we come to your word today that you have given us, this word that is written down for us so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, this word that is to lead us to Jesus, the written word to the word made flesh. I pray that you would take this offering and light it on fire. Uh, I've got uh, five loaves and two fish this morning um, and I'm bringing it to this crowd and I pray that uh, you would feed them with leftovers. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's great when you only have one gathering because you can talk for twice as long. It's fantastic. So so buckle up, children. Uh, We officially may not realize this, but we officially entered summer this past Wednesday at 7.57 a.m. is when summer started. And for many of us, uh, that means similar things. It means breaks from work, breaks from school. It means vacations. It means barbecues. It means going to the beach. It means going to the mountains uh, or both. And I love it. It's fantastic. It also means that we enter a, a different rhythm here at Midtown, as, as many of you know, our, our Bible studies and our CGs, our community groups, shut down for the summer. We obviously moved to one gathering at 10 a.m. during the summer. But just because certain programs um, within the ministry uh, take a summer break, that doesn't mean that the principles behind them have to. Because in the same way that the church isn't a building, the church isn't its programs. And so even though Various small groups, like I said, CGs and Bible studies and so on, don't meet. We hope that the relationships, the friendships that you have built in them over the last year or maybe even two years would lead you to get together organically, or perhaps this summertime allows you an opportunity to to meet some people that you've never hung out with before. And you go out as a pack of friends or maybe families with with families, whatever the summer allows. That doesn't mean, however, that nothing is going on here uh, this summer. We're obviously continuing to gather. We have a day camp that's starting up in a couple of weeks. We're going to commission the leadership of the day camp next Sunday. Um, We have a, a variety of outdoor ministry events taking place. Our soccer team is heading to the playoffs, right? Yeah. No? Is it done? Did you guys lose? Oh, all right. Wow. How to take take an air out of a gathering right there. And and we have a bunch of people. Let's move on quickly. We have a bunch of people that are hosting a a meetup. Uh, A meetup is a just a time, as you know, where families will host or individuals will host. 
uh, a time over meat where you'll meet up and uh, we'll give some announcements about that. If you don't eat meat, then like I said, we'll, you can gather over a tofu and you can tofu each other. Um, today is also uh, a day where we begin a summer, a summer sermon series that I originally had planned uh, that it would be a, a sermon series of one-off messages of favorite passages chosen by those who are speaking. There's a number of guest speakers coming in in July and early August, and they'll be grafting in with me throughout, throughout the series. But as I thought about it and prayed about it, I, I decided that I, I want to laser in a bit and have those favorite passages chosen by those speaking to be all themed around the topic of prayer. But there's more to it than that. Uh, and and let, me, let me see if I can explain this to you. For many of us, summer is a time where we take a break from the ordinary. And we, like I said already, we vacation and we rest. And I think that's fantastic. I'm hoping to do the same this summer. Physical rest is important. Time spent with family and friendships is important too. It's, it's, it's important to get away from the regular rhythms of life. The call to Sabbath backs this idea up. One of my uh, favorite passages in the Gospels that speaks to this as well is found in Mark 6. The context of Mark 6 and the ta- uh, passage I'm going to take you to is the 12 apostles or disciples, they have been sent out by Jesus for ministry duty. So they go out, they proclaim Jesus, they heal the sick, they set the captives free from the demonic, and they come back. And this is what we read in Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boats. They took a cruise, this is great, summer cruise, to a desolate place by themselves. I love this. And I love that Jesus is behind this, for it not only gives us permission to get away and rest and leisure, in spite of the needs around us, right? I mean, that phrase, for many were coming and going, is a a reference to the busyness of ministry life. People come, people go. There's always things to do. But in spite of that, in spite of that, they they get away. And we need this. This emphasizes the importance of it. Every day we are reminded of this, in fact. When we come to the end of ourselves, which we do every day, we come to the end of ourselves. It's called sleep. The 16 or so hours of activity in the day depend on the eight or so hours of inactivity in the night. And I would argue that if that is true in our daily rhythms, it's to be true in our yearly run ones. But, but here is what I know when I bring up uh, this idea, this, this importance. Most of us are already convinced of it. We're convinced of the importance of physical and mental rest. And as we go into summer, most of you have plans, right? You've got activity plans, fitness plans. You're going outside plans. You've got barbecue plans. You've got hammock plans. You've got kickback and relax plans. And like I said, I love it. Me too. I've I've got similar plans. 
But what about spiritual plans as you go into the summer? Do you have any? Have you thought about that? What are you working out spiritually this summer? What are you eating spiritually this summer? What are you resting in spiritually this summer? And I'll say it one more time. I think the other things are great and necessary. I'm just wondering about those things. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.8, bodily training is of some value. But godliness is of value in the present life and also for the life to come. So what we read here is that Paul wasn't down on the physical. Our bodies, Paul knew full well, are important and they need to be taken care of. He's just saying that something supersedes its importance in this life and the life to come. Jesus said very famously in his wilderness temptation event, said, we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Meaning that life that is truly life, life that flourishes and is wholly healthy, heart, soul, mind, and strength healthy, rests not only on physical nourishment and rest, but spiritual nourishment and rest too. Speaking of rest, Jesus said, and you can read this behind me in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's here, um, springboarding out of this passage where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. I want to set up things up for the rest of this summer and the rest of this series. Uh, and so let's go back to that verse because everything hinges on this verse and this invitation from, from Jesus. The phrase, I will give you rest, this promise of Jesus is literally translated, I will rest you. Meaning the invitation from Jesus is come to me and you will find your rest in me. Which is why he adds in the very next verse, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart. And then he says this, and you will find rest for your souls. How do you find rest for your souls? Well, well, it can't just happen by going away for a while, uh, by taking a vacation, because that would mean any atheist could find rest for their souls by simply going to the beach for a couple of weeks. So back to the question, how then? Well, Jesus told us by coming to him, now, I know, and you, I'm sure some of you know full well that the rest that Jesus is talking about here ultimately is salvation rest. We find eternal rest. We find saving rest for our souls when we come to Jesus. And I'll talk about that more on the back end. But what we need to understand here with this invitation is that this invitation isn't a one-time invitation. Because although our souls may be saved, they still get weary and they still get burdened as we go through life. And in the same way that our bodies need to be fed and cared for, 
so do our, our souls. I love what God promised through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, when he says there, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. Why am I beginning this way as we enter summer? Well, I'm beginning this way because it would be my assumption, it would be my guess, just to take a wild stab at it, that some of you as you enter this summer have weary souls. Souls that are languishing. Souls that need rest. Souls that need replenishing. And, and so, before going any further, my encouragement, my pastoral encouragement to you as you enter this summer is that you take your soul care as seriously, even more seriously than anything else you've planned. Because it's very possible to go away this, this summer and come back physically rested while still being spiritually depleted and malnourished. Souls that are, are tired. But here's another question. Why, why do our souls need rest? Why? I mean, I, I get why our bodies need to be rested, but why do our souls? I mean, Jesus, just going back to the invitation, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. So the question, what tires them? What tires our souls? What what? What depletes them so that they need to be replenished? Well, that's the question I hope to answer with the time I have this morning. But, but before I do, let me first ask, because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. What, what is the soul? What is it? Well, first off, what we understand about the soul is that every, everyone has one. But that doesn't answer what it is. Simply, and this is how I will answer it today for the sake of the time that we have, our soul is the non-physical part of who we are. Now I say simply because I'm not going to talk about the heart. I'm not going to talk about the spirit and the mind. So just laser in on that definition. The soul is a non-physical part of the person. Some people say everybody has a soul, but it would be more accurate to say every soul has a body. Because we know that when we die, according to what we read in the scriptures, our body goes into the, the ground. But our soul, if you are in Christ, goes to be in the presence of the Lord. That's not to downplay the body. Because we know a day is coming with the coming of Jesus that our bodies will be reunited with our souls and our souls reunited to a body now glorified. But... But back to the question, if that's what a soul is, everybody has them. What, what are those things that tire and deplete them? Lots of answers to the question. I, I could have given you a dozen. I'm not going to do that. Let me give you less than a handful. What depletes, what tires our soul? Here's the first thing that I would like to offer. A constant influx of negativity. And negativity can come in many forms. Do you remember COVID? Remember COVID? Remember that just a little while ago? Remember COVID? 
Uh, for most of us, when, when COVID began, at least at the beginning, we had to shelter in place. Um, I wasn't even working at the time. I was between ministry jobs. And so all I would do is I'd get up in the morning, I would go for a walk, I would read, I would come home and I'd watch golf club fitting YouTube channels because that's what all the cool people do. I would order skip the dishes for breakfast. Talk about, talk about physically rested. I mean, I had nothing on my mind. Just kind of doing life. But there was something else that I also did during that, during that time. More, more than I have ever done before or since. And that was, I watched the news. And I watched a lot of news. I watched CBC and BCTV, and I watched CNN, and I watched Fox, and, and I, I listened to podcasts, and I would go online, and I would read, and I would watch YouTube channels on COVID, and I would listen to people argue. It was awesome. Every night, I would go on, 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 my, on TV. I'd watch TV, and I, I, I'd, I, this is what I hear night after night. Another 600 people died today. I finally got to the point where I said to Nicole, I'm, I'm done with the news because it's killing my soul. You know what I mean? I had rarely, if ever, been more rested physically and more depleted spiritually. But negativity can come in different ways, more in a variety of different ways than that, not just listening to the news. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2. He writes, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. What is gangrene? Well, gangrene is the death of body tissue because of the lack of blood flow. It literally eats the body physically. Blood brings life. And when you remove that life-giving blood, life is taken away. And Paul uses this very graphic imagery and says that we should avoid a constant indulgence of a certain kind of chatter. What kind of chatter? Godless chatter. And he says, if you don't, it will destroy you. Spiritually, it will spread like spiritual gangrene and rot us from the inside out. On the same theme, and this isn't on the screen, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, corrupting talk shouldn't come out of our mouths. Corrupting talk is rotten. It's, it's, it's worthless talk. And it reform, refers to any form of dialogue or email or text or post that tears down and destroys. Godless chatter and corrupting talk shows up in the words of false teachers. That's what Paul refers to back in 2 Timothy 2. But it also shows up in people who are constantly cynical or critical or cutting. It, it, it comes up in those who take joy in being the contrarian 
always looking for a battle, it shows up in the person who takes pleasure in being the devil's advocate. Why would you ever want to be an advocate for the devil? He don't need the help. Like he's got a lot on his team. It shows up in the words of those who are always sarcastic and rarely genuine. It shows up in the person who hasn't dealt with the storm going on inside and is constantly warming themselves by the fire of bitterness coming out in what they say. I'm sure you could give more examples of this as well. Here's my point. Midtown, if you're in that orbit day after day, if this is your friend group, if this is what you're tuning into all the time, it will deplete your soul. It will tear you down and tear you apart. And soon that gangrene will have had its effect. It's so affecting that Paul writes in Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Why? Well, because the health of our soul is at stake. And how valuable is our soul? It's not worth trading the whole world for. Now, some of you read, hear that from Paul and go, that's not nice. Doesn't seem very nice at all. Let me ask you a question. If you had a relationship with someone that constantly threatened you physically, would you hang out with that person? What Paul is saying is, look, you need to value your soul too. Don't put yourself in that orbit. Doesn't mean you have disdain for them. Doesn't mean you're not ready to extend grace to them. But don't put yourself in that orbit in the same way that you wouldn't put yourself in physical danger either. So what are we to do instead? Well, in contrast, Paul writes in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And and, and here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is guard what goes in. Feed the soul, starve the flesh, and be quick to turn things off and say, enough already. I don't need to listen anymore. And if possible, guard yourself from those relationships that only kill and destroy. And in saying that, I know that it's not always possible because some of you are married to gangrene or you have a parent that is like that or a child that is like that, a friend who is like that and you're with them and you feel like your soul is being sucked out of you. So guard what goes in, if possible. And instead of using your mouth for corruption and warming yourself by the fire of bitterness and cynicism, warm yourself with what is good and pleasing instead. So negativity depletes the soul. Here's another, hurt, hurt. Few things affect our souls more than hurt especially hurt that comes from one Christian to another. 
One of the things, and I'm sure some of you have heard this already, but one of the things that you'll hear from people if you hang around long enough is someone saying, I was really hurt by the church. It's a common adage. It's a... What is most often meant is that someone in a position of leadership and pastor or an elder or a staff person or perhaps a, a community group leader, a Bible study leader or something did something that, that hurt them. I have made decisions, some wrong and some right that have led to hurt. And I say some wrong and some right because sometimes right counsel and good decisions can lead to hurt too. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, Solomon writes in Proverbs 27, verse 6. But I've also done things, full disclosure, and I'm sure this is not a surprise to you. I've done things, I've said things that I deeply regret, that have led to hurt too. But regardless of the reason, a right reason, certainly a wrong reason, there is no joy in hurting anyone. And yet, we are the church. We, not the building, not the programs, not just the leadership. We are the church. And the hurt in the church doesn't only take place from the leadership to the laity, but from the laity to the leadership and from laity to laity. I have been hurt many times by those in the church. And it's no easier just because I have a title and I get a paycheck. But however it comes, this hurt to you or to me, it depletes the soul, doesn't it? And, and I know this to be true because I've, I've talked to you. I've, I've talked to CG leaders who serve and they pray and they, they open their homes up every week and they break bread with people who just one day up and leave. That, that sucks the soul out of you. I've talked to Sunday school teachers who, who get reamed out by parents moments after teaching their kids about Jesus. Soul-wrenching or worship leaders who only hear from certain people when it's too loud, or they don't like the choice of songs. Getting a little personal here, aren't I, a little bit? Do you, do you know why a Christian hurt by another Christian is so soul-wrenching? Because we are part of the same body. It's like taking a hammer to your own toe. It affects us, and not just the one hurt, but the one who hurts. Because when one of us suffers, we all suffer. The one who hurts just may not realize it. Because they've been living with soul depletion for so long that they think that the state that they're in is normal. Here's the reality. We are going to hurt one another. In the same way as I've talked about, if you're married, you're gonna hurt your spouse by something you do or something you say. 
A parent is going to hurt a child. A child is going to hurt a parent. A friend is going to hurt a friend. And when you get a group of people under one roof doing life together, we're going to hurt one another. That doesn't excuse it. But it helps us understand why Paul often calls those in the church, in his letters to the churches, to forgive and to bear with one another. It's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount so urgently tells us to make things right with those that we've hurt or those who have hurt us. Because hurt and unresolved conflict and avoidance destroys the soul. And running from it brings no healing. It just moves that depleted soul to another location. A third depletion of the soul is sin. Sin depletes the soul. And what I'm talking about here is practiced sin, unconfessed sin, ongoing excused sin. Uh, The type of sin that grieves and quenches the spirit. This is the sin that not only leads to the depletion of our souls, but if left unchecked, can lead to sickness and ill health, physically and mentally. We just talked about that a few weeks ago. Remember talking about the Lord's Supper? That those who partook in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner were dealing with sickness, even death. Why is that? Because, well, it's because sin is a disease of the soul. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus has paid that wage. But when we go back to it, it crushes us and it weighs us down and it creates turmoil and soul depletion. That's why Paul very graphically talks about being like a dog that has left his vomit, but returns to it. And what the, 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 the point of that is sin is vomit. It's vomit. And you've been set free. Why would you go back and eat it? Because when you eat it, it's going to lead to ill health, spiritual ill health, perhaps even physically ill as well. And I don't say that to scare you. That's just the reality. David wrote of his unconfessed sin in the book of Psalms, Psalm 38, 8. He writes, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. What's the solution to a soul that has been crushed and weighed down and depleted with sin? Repentance. Repentance. Not just being sorry. Not simply asking for forgiveness. Repentance. What is repentance? It's a turning. Yes, you're sorry for your sin. Yes, you ask for forgiveness for your sin, but you turn from it. And when we repent, and you can read about this in Psalm 51, which is a beautiful chapter that lays out what happened to David when he repents of his sin, what will happen is our soul will be renewed in us and the joy of our salvation will will return. So what have we seen so far? What depletes our soul? Well, negativity, number one, hurt, certainly, and number two, sin number three, and I'll, I'll close with this one, and that is heartache. Heartache depletes the soul. 
Heartache comes for many reasons. As we know, we could make a long list. The loss of a loved one certainly brings heartache. Uh, The waywardness of a child. I've been told, and I, I, I believe this, that a parent is only as happy as their the child that is going through the worst time. The waywardness of a child brings soul depletion. Counseling someone through difficulty can bring heartache when you don't only hear their story, but you feel it. Someone abandoning you brings heartache. Someone abandoning the faith brings heartache. The the unraveling of the world around us, does that not bring heartache? In Acts 17, Paul said that he took a walk around the city of Athens and what he saw, he he writes, grieved him. The the world grieves me. I, I love Vancouver, but it also grieves me. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. However it comes, heartache brings soul tiredness. You go to bed tired, you wake up tired, you're tired of being tired. That's not just a body needing rest. That's a a soul needing rest. So the question is, what is the way of escape? What brings rest and replenishing to a tired soul? Well, this may surprise you, but it, it actually begins by recognizing the benefits of a tired soul. Why is that? How can a tired soul benefit us? Well, tired souls are drawn to Jesus. It's, it's the weary and the burdened who Jesus invites. It's those who need rest that Jesus calls to come to him. In the same way in 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul says that his affliction that he and his team were going through made them not rely on themselves, but God, tired souls do the same. It's our tired soul that enables us to weep with those who weep. A tired soul reminds us of our need for rescue and shakes us out of our complacency. A tired soul reminds us that this isn't the way it's to be. And that if Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows, then we should expect to experience at least some of the same. The way of escape then doesn't come by trying to wrap yourself up in spiritual bubble wrap, hoping to never encounter things that will deplete and tire you spiritually. That that makes as much sense as taking your car out for a nice drive on a sunny Sunday afternoon and hoping that the gas tank level doesn't go down. Life and relationships and ministry, being a wholly devoted follower of Jesus in our world will lead to souls that need rest and our spiritual tanks replenished. In this world, we will have trouble, Jesus said. 
So how do we fill them? How do we replenish them? Well, I've given you some ways already. So let me wrap up with a few more and then we'll respond. One way that we replenish and rest our souls is in the word, the word of God, the written word of God. Psalm 119 verse 28, we read there, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. When I go through times of sorrow, when I get melancholy, when I go through times of soul tiredness, I throw away my reading plan. I try to read through the Bible every year and I have a reading plan that leads me through that. But when I find myself in places like that, I throw away that reading plan and I spend a lot of time in the Psalms. The Psalms are Holy Spirit inspired songs and prayers. And there's so many that resonate regardless of the time of joy or sorrow or somewhere in between that resonate with us. If you spend enough time in them and just marinating in them, I like to spend time in the Psalms. Sometimes I'll spend day after day after day in the same Psalm. Perhaps Midtown, some of you need to spend a summer in the Psalms. So one way we we replenish is in the word A second way and a third way shows up in the garden scene. The evening before, or perhaps the early morning before the arrest of Jesus, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 28, or 26, excuse me, verse 38. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. And watch with me. Do you hear what he's asking there? What he's saying to his disciples? At his most sorrowful. So sad he thought he could die of sadness. Jesus asked for people. And he asked for prayer. Remain here. Remain here. And watch with me. That that watching with Jesus speaks of prayer. Prayerfully watch with me. He needed people around him. Jesus needed people around him to stay close and pray while he prayed in his anguish too. On, On the front end, I was talking about COVID and news and all of that and how news was killing my soul. Do you know what killed it even more during that COVID season? Not being with the body of Christ. More than the negativity that I heard every day was not being with the body of Christ. It is not good to be alone. We have been created to need one another. And and please hear me on this because I heard this during COVID. People talking about, I like being alone. I want to be alone. Any satisfaction with being alone and not part of the body is not a sign of strength. It's a sign of spiritual ill health. We need one another. We're living stones 
part of a household. We're not a household by ourselves. We're a stone. We're a family. Brothers and sisters. Some of us, and I was talking about this at our staff meeting this week, some, we're, adopt, right, we're adopted in the family of God, yes? Some of you are adopted. When you're adopted, you're not just adopted to a parent, right? You're adopted into the family. Brothers and sisters. Like, you know, I'm just going to hang out with dad. No, you've been adopted into a family. Some of us think that our Christian life is just, it's okay, I got dad. And we need each other. We've, we've been created to need each other in this way. The best we are is a nose or an ear. Not the whole body. And a nose or an ear or any other member of the body can never say, I don't need you. To say, I don't need you again, is a sign of spiritual ill health. So what do we need? We need people and we need prayer. But when I talk about prayer, and as we go forward in this series, a summer of prayer, I'm, I'm not only talking about bringing your requests to Jesus, I'm talking about bringing yourself to Jesus this summer and thereafter. Which, which ultimately is the only way we find rest for our souls. And that's by coming to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says, and let me rest you. And, and so as we respond, I invite you to come to Jesus. And here's the thing. You don't need a vacation to do that. You don't need to get away. You don't need to go to the mountains or the beach. Some of you got to work all summer. Sorry about that. But you don't need that break to come to Jesus. Come to the one who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. And keep coming to Jesus this summer. Keep on coming to him in the word, in the Psalms perhaps, through prayer and with each other. Hang out, hang out with each other. Organically, on the whim. It's funny, I've heard this from people where they'll come to me and they'll say, yeah, you know what? I was hanging out with uh, my, my buddy at Tim Hortons and we were really disappointed because there's not more programs taking place. I said, you were hanging out with your buddy from the church at Tim Hortons? Fantastic. That's the church. I'm not down on programs. But I'm more interested in what goes on in our lives relationally with one another. Come to the one who, out of the anguish of his soul, Isaiah 53 writes, was satisfied because he made many righteous by bearing their iniquities. One other thing. As we come to this table um, and we go into a time of response, I've, I've given you some, some reasons, some ways that our souls get depleted, why they get tired, do you know the greatest reason why our souls get, to get tired and why I'm leading into this meal with it? Nothing tires our soul more than trying to attain our salvation and our rightness before God in our own power. That's the invitation of Jesus. I don't know all of you, but I would assume that some of you don't know Jesus. And you're working, working, working. 
You're resting on the fact, the idea that one day, one day you're gonna be able to say, I did enough. I worked hard enough. I was good enough. It's a tired soul saying that. And Jesus says, come to me. I've done the work for you. You don't have to work anymore. My burden is easy. My yoke, light, my light, yoke, easy, my burden, light. Because he poured out his body for you. He poured out his blood for you. He was broken for you. So come to me and I will rest you. I will rest. You don't have to work in that way anymore. Hereafter, you're in me and that work is done. So I invite those of you who don't know Jesus to come to Jesus today. Why would you not? He's done it all in your place. And so Father, now we respond, we respond. Uh, Jesus, you said that the scriptures point to you. So we've been in the written word. Now we wanna go to the word made flesh. We wanna be people who not only hear the word, but live them, act them out base our life on them. So I pray that in this time of response, people would come to you, Jesus. As they come down and partake in this meal, it would be a sign, a visible sign, theater of saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. I pray for those here, especially who are weary, who are burdened, whose souls are tired and depleted. I pray that you would bring rest and restoration. Whether that happens in the months ahead or even happens in this moment in time, whatever it takes, I pray. I pray that they would be renewed. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.